0: Good morning, my name is Jeremy, I'm the lead pastor here, and we're so glad that you're a part of this. I just want to let you know, I'm from Arizona, where they do not do daylight savings time. Just saying, it's an option. Just just throwing it out there, it's an option, maybe somebody should consider. Hey, uh, we're so glad that you're here with us today. Uh, I I wanted to begin uh, with a little little personal revelation. One of the things that, uh, I've got five kids, and and my kids love, you know, uh, bedtime stories, Sometimes, I'll be honest, it's a little too chaotic at bedtime to get you know, time for a story, but when everything works out well and you know, we have enough time, we'll, we'll sit down and, and sometimes I have a book I'm working through with them or I wanna read to them or, or other times it's like, hey guys, what do you wanna read? You, you get to bring me a book. And, and uh, I noticed there was a, 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 like a season of time where my oldest two boys kept bringing the same book to me and I kept telling them no every night. I'm like, no, I'm not that, not that one. I'm not, I'm not doing that one. And finally, they wore me down. I and mean, it was just like night after night of dad, this one, read us this one. And so I want to show you what the book was that they persuaded me. It's called 100 Facts About Mummies. <laughs> now, on the cover it says projects, quizzes, fun facts, cartoons, what's not to love. Now, I don't know where they got this book. I don't know if this was like a school book fair. Probably a grandparent gave it to them at some point. But, uh, but they had this book and they said, Dad, come on, read to us about mummies. And I'm thinking, this is, a weird, this is a weird book to read to your kids at night, but whatever, they're asking for it. Uh, so we'll do it. So I open it up, and I'm like, let's just, let's just read a little bit. Uh, so we get to a page, bog bodies, you know, that mummy's found in a bog. I'm like, all right, that sounds interesting. Let's read about this. So, you know, the kids gather around. We're all, you know, in their pajamas and cozy, and dad's going to read you a story. Bog bodies have been discovered in Germany. At Wendeby, the body of a teenage girl was found. The girl who died 1,900 years ago was wearing a blindfold. Hmm, kids, why why is she wearing a blindfold? (laughs) It seems she was taken to the bog, her eyes were covered, and then she was drowned. A heavy rock and branches were put on top of her body, so it sank to the bottom of the bog. All right, maybe that's just a weird paragraph. Let's just let's try, try a different one on the page. From the Netherlands comes the bog body of another teenage girl. She was stabbed, strangled, and then dumped. Okay, you know what? Let's uh, <laughs> go to the next page. We're just gonna, we're gonna skip over that. We're gonna, Lindo Man. Let's, let's read about Lindo Man. He sounds fun, kid. So, y'all gather around. This will be better. <clears throat> Lindo Man did not die peacefully. Before he died, he ate food with poisonous mistletoe in it. It's impossible to say if the poison was put there on purpose or by accident. The marks on his body tell the story of his last moments alive. Someone hit him hard on the head. A cord was tightened around his neck and he was strangled. And then to make sure he was dead, his throat was cut. Good night, my little angels. Now maybe you've had one of these moments as a parent where you realize I have a problem here. Uh, my kids want me to read the most horrific children's book ever written to them uh, before bedtime, and so what I realized quickly as I got into this book is that I couldn't just read to them what was in it. I had to rework it. I had to have my own version of it, right? And so it sounds a little something like this: Lindo Man died peacefully in his sleep, surrounded by his closest friends oh, dad, that's sweet, oh yeah, don't wanna be like Lindo Man, you know? And and I realized, like, I just, I couldn't read the book as is, it would be a disaster, I had to, I had to just skip over parts and and just, you know, make it my own thing. So that's that book. Let me contrast that with a a very different book. Uh, This is also a children's book. This is called Amy Grant's Heart to Heart Bible Stories. Any Amy Grant fans in the house today? Yeah, you know who you are. Now, this is a, this is a very old book. But what you may not realize, this is not my kid's book. This is my book. Hold on, hold on. Uh, now, uh, y- you might look at this book and you're like, "Wow, that's not really a book I would expect Jeremy to be reading." And you would be right. Uh, but uh, here's the deal: uh, this book uh, w- has an interesting story. I was actually just recently given this book about a couple years ago. Now, you may be wondering, why would someone give you this book a couple years ago? Well. Inside of the book is something interesting. If you go to the opening page, it says, Presented to Jeremy Jernigan by the high school class West Covina Church of Christ. Now, that's a, a church in California where my dad was a youth pastor when I was about four years old. And so here's the story. Someone in Arizona found this book at a garage sale, opened the cover, said, Hey, I know that guy, bought it sent it to me and said, hey, found some garage sale. thought you might want it back. I haven't seen this book in decades. I don't know when I last parted with it. I don't know, I, I don't even remember owning this. Uh, but what I love about it is this book at, at, at first glance may not seem like a, a, a real you know, page turner, right? But there's a story to it. There's something more to it than meets the eye. And I love how excited the person was that found it and realized, wait a minute, This used to belong to someone who I know and I could get it back And, and there's a whole great story to it. Now here's my question. As we begin to conclude this series that we've been in for the last month and a half, which of these two books describes the way you read the Bible? Do you read it like this book where you're like, there's a bunch of crazy things in there, skip over them, change them, act like you never read it and just get to the good parts? Or do you read it and go, you know what, there's even more there than you may have realized. Now, at the risk of comparing the Bible to Amy Grant, which I'm not trying to do, uh, the, 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 the suggestion I'd have for you today is that the, the Bible is not one of those books that you go, yeah, just pretend like that all that weird stuff isn't in there. It's actually a book, when we are willing to look, will show us Jesus. That we can walk away and go, wow, I never saw that. I never understood that. And that has been my experience with it. And hopefully uh, the last six weeks as you have been in this series with us, that's been your experience as well. So today we're going to conclude it. We're going to be in week six. So if you have your journals with you still, uh, hopefully you've been following along in this series, go ahead and get that out. You'll see a spot for week six there to take notes. And if not, you can just take notes on a notepad app or some other piece of paper you have. Uh, And then we're going to be in our Bibles in Jonah chapter one. Jonah is in the Old Testament. It's in between Obadiah and Micah, which admittedly is probably not that helpful for you if you don't know where Jonah is. Uh, But I'm gonna give you some some time to go find it. Look in the table of contents if you need to. It's not a huge book. Uh, If you've got a Bible app on a a phone, uh, you can go ahead and scroll to that and you can get your spot in Jonah and we'll be there in just a moment. Now here's a question I want us to wrestle with today, very simple question, and yet a question we'll see all throughout this text. And here's the question. What does it take for you To obey God. Simple question. What does it take? How much does God have to do to convince you to do something? Especially something you may not want to do. And what do you do when when life looks pixelated? How how much does God have to do in that that situation? When you're going, I'm not not sure what's going on. I'm not sure I'm seeing everything. What does God have to do to to convince you to obey him in that situation? Now today we're going to read a story about an Old Testament prophet named Jonah. And I love the story of Jonah. We're not, we don't have time to get into the whole book, but uh, one of my favorite books in the Old Testament. It's unlike any other book. Uh, Jonah is a prophet of God, but it's a. he's a very relatable guy. He's a guy you can go, hey, I understand what he's going through. I understand, uh, you know, some of his issues. And God says to Jonah, hey, Jonah, you represent my people, you know, Israel. I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to go and preach to Nineveh and preach a message of repentance. Now, Nineveh in those days was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, which was the dominant world power. And so this is really the hub of where everything is is happening. Now, what you may not know is that Nineveh was also Israel's sworn enemy. These were the guys that Israel had been battling against on and off for centuries. And and from Israel's point of view, which is Jonah's point of view, uh, Nineveh is like Nazi Germany or ISIS. I mean, they hated these people. And they had a lot of reason to, because there had been some horrific things done. Now we can just look throughout history and we can learn a little bit about uh, the people of Nineveh. What were they like? And, and history would suggest they weren't really nice people. I wanna share a few things that we have uh, from history uh, that different kings of Nineveh are, are recorded as saying. And this will paint a picture for us of the people of Nineveh led by these different kings. So King Shalmaneser II had this to say uh, of a recent victory. He said, a pyramid of heads I reared in front of his city, their youths and their maidens I burnt up in the flames. So he's bragging about killing children and killing women. And then he assembles all these heads of the decapitated corpses into a pyramid in front of the city. And he's bragging about it. Hey, let me tell you what I did with these guys. That gives you a little bit of the flavor of, of who these, they were. Uh, king Sennacherib had this to say about a king that he recently defeated. I flayed him, his skin I spread upon the wall of the city. Now, if you understand the, what he's referencing, not exactly a, a kind mental picture of what he did to this defeated king. Or uh, King Ashurbanipal, well, perhaps the, the most intense of it, once said what he did to another king. I pierced his chin, With my keen hand dagger through his jaw, I passed a rope, put a dog chain upon him and made him occupy a kennel." Now this gives you just a glimpse into who these guys are. They're not really known for being nice. They're known for a lot of the sadistic uh, punishments that they, they did to other people. And what you see here is that when God has a conversation with Jonah, God looks at the city of Nineveh and says, "'I want them to repent. I'm not okay with this. It's incredible evil. I want them to repent. But Jonah wants these people to perish. Jonah's like, God, they don't deserve to have you. They don't deserve to have a message of forgiveness. They don't deserve an opportunity to change their ways. They are forever gone, forever evil. I want nothing to do with them. So God says to Jonah, okay, hey, Jonah, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to Nineveh, he's in Joppa. I want you to go to Nineveh, go and preach to the city. Now, it's not not an incredible uh, distance for Jonah. It would have been a few days walk, about 500 some miles away that he could have done. Instead, Jonah says, I'm going to flee from the Lord, which is what the text says, which is a hilarious image. If you think you're gonna flee from God, Jonah's convinced he can do it. So he decides to get on a boat. Instead of walking to Nineveh, he's gonna get on a boat to Tarshish, which is the opposite direction, more than 2,000 miles away. Now to illustrate how defiant Jonah is, this is a prophet of God, chosen by God. To illustrate what he's doing, let me show you this on a map. Here's Joppa. Jonah is supposed to go to Nineveh, right there. Instead, he's gonna get on a boat to go all the way over to modern day Spain, which is Tarshish. I mean, he is as far away from what God wants him to do as he possibly could be. See, when Jonah's thinking about it, he's going, look, Nineveh is not on my bucket list, God. I have zero desire to go there. So Jonah's convinced, instead of just staying here and ignoring God, I might be, you know, pushed closer to Nineveh. I'm going to get on a boat and go the opposite direction. And that way, there's no chance that God can make me do what he wants. Now, when you look at this map, you might be going, wow, that is defiant. I mean, who, who could possibly do this? But before we get into the story, let me just ask, have you ever gotten a boat to Tarshish in your life? Ever felt like God put something in front of you? Hey, here's what I want you to do. And you said, nope, go in the other direction, God. And instead of just hanging out where you were, you actually went the opposite way because you thought that would further, you know, remove the possibility that you might have to do what God is suggesting that you do. I don't know what it would be for you. Maybe you feel like God is, calling you to let go of a dating relationship that is unhealthy. And God's telling you, hey, this is not the person you're supposed to marry, this is not healthy, uh, this is not good for you or good for them, uh, you need to get out of this. But you're afraid of being lonely, so you stay in it. You go, oh God, "I God, I can't do it." Maybe you double down and say, hey, I'm gonna get married to this person because I don't, I don't wanna be alone. Maybe God is calling you to forgive someone, but you, you, you just can't let go of the hurt. And you don't want to let go of your right to be bitter, of your right for revenge. So you say, no, God, I'm not going to forgive that person. And you hold on to it. Maybe God's calling you to serve with your gifts and your abilities. And you're going, no, I don't want to give up my free time. I don't, I don't want to have to, you know, owe something to someone else where they expect something of me. I, I like having my options. So you say, no. God might be calling you to give generously. You go, well, I don't, I don't know what would happen. I'm afraid of the unknown, God, so I'm not, I'm not gonna step out and trust you in that way. Maybe you have some secret sin that no one else knows about, but you know. And God said, hey, it's time to, it's time to address this. It's time to, to allow me to, to, to get into this area of your life. But, but you won't do it because you like that. You like the way you secretly feel alive in the adrenaline rush you have when no one else knows. I don't know what that is for you, but the reality is that we can all understand Jonah here. We all have that moment where God puts something in front of us. We say, I'm not interested, God. That's not what I want to do. And so in our pride and our ego, we go the opposite way. Now, Jonah is convinced that he's, he's done it, that he has outsmarted God. He gets on a boat, and the boat is headed to Tarshish, and he's thinking, I've done it. I've fleed. I have fleed from God. I have gotten away from him. I have accomplished it until a storm takes over. And not just any storm, but one of those storms that think, you know, you're, you're about to end your life here, and this is going to be it. And so all the people on the boat with Jonah start to look around and go, what's up? This is not a normal storm, what's going on? And they begin to have a conversation with Jonah about it. That's what we're gonna pick up in the text. In Jonah chapter 1, verse eight, hopefully you can read along with me, we'll see the conversation that they have with him trying to figure out what's going on with this storm. It says this, so they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? I look at him going, what's the deal, man? You're cursed. Why is this happening to us? Jonah answered, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, notice this line, who made the sea and the dry land. Yeah, that thing that's about to kill us, yeah, that's my God. He's responsible for that. And they're looking at him going, what? Notice on the next line, verse 10. This terrified them. Right, your God controls the sea and he's about to kill us? Like, what's going on? And they asked, what have you done? Jonah, what have you done to bring this upon us? Now, they knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Now, they don't wanna hurt Jonah. They don't wanna you know, needlessly sacrifice him, but they're going, Jonah, what, what are we supposed to do here? So here's what he says, verse 12. Pick me up, throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. So I was like, all right, here's the deal. Uh, you you got to throw me overboard. I, I'm the reason. Uh, so throw me overboard and you guys will live. And so they do it and the sea goes calm. But here's what's the most amazing about this. Jonah would rather choose death at sea than to obey God. That's how far he's willing to go. Nope, God, I'd rather die. I'd rather just die in the ocean than have to go and serve you and do this thing that you've asked me to do. That's how much he does not want to obey God. But this story is not going to end with Jonah dying at sea. Uh, It's going to take on a twist and uh, you may know this twist. Here's what Jonah chapter one, verse 17 says. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, if you're following along and you have you know, something to take notes with, uh, notate the phrase three days and three nights. That's the important part to take away from this verse, okay? Three days and three nights, you'll see why that's significant in just a moment. Uh, but this is the story. Now, I love the phrasing here. The Lord provided a huge fish. Now, I imagine Jonah, he's out there floating on the ocean. He's realizing, I don't know how long I can tread water. I'm gonna die at some point. God, all right, I need you to save me. I need you to provide something for me. Uh, go ahead and and provide something. And the Lord provided a huge fish. Ever had God answer a prayer the wrong way? Like, God, I didn't pray that. You know, Jonah's thinking, I want a boat, a flotation device, you know, something would be great. Not a huge fish. That is not what I had in mind. This is how God answers his prayers. Now, you might not realize, but God may have answered a ton of your prayers. He just answered them in the wrong way, right? You're going, that's not what I asked. God's like, no, I'll provide for you. And so God provides a huge fish. Now, this is the part, and I want to acknowledge this, where a lot of people go, oh, that's cute that you believe stories like this. This is a fairy tale. Uh, this kind of thing doesn't happen in real life. Now, I want to acknowledge that. Uh, I, I can be a skeptical person. I get that, that pushback or that reaction. Uh, but here's the reality. Uh, the, the point of the story is not what kind of fish was this. Okay? The point of the story is not to speculate, let's do all our research, let's figure, was it a whale, what, what, what kind of fish was there? And people spend all their time trying to figure this out. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is that you have a prophet of God who will go to such great lengths that God has to provide a fish to supernaturally swallow him for three days in order to get him to listen. That is the story. And, and so, again, if you're getting hung up on, well, that could never happen, I don't know what kind of fish it was. I don't know how God did it. I just believe that this happened, that, that somehow there was a fish large enough to swallow Jonah for three days and for three nights. And I wonder, if we really were gonna relate with Jonah, do we have some, some group of people that we dislike as much as Jonah disliked the people of Nineveh? Do we have our own Nineveh today? Is there a group that if God said to you, hey, I want you to go and serve this group of people, you would say, no way, not them. I am not going to to be a part of them experiencing your goodness. Do you have your own Nineveh today? I love the way that Bob Goff says it. He says, you wanna know how you're doing in your faith? Watch how you treat people who creep you out. It's a great litmus test, right? Oh, I'm doing great, God and I are awesome. Yeah, how are you treating people who creep you out? And you know who they are. You know those people, you're like, well, yeah, but Jeremy, it's because of this and this and this, and that's why they creep me out. I mean, that's why, I'm, I'm totally justified in it. And you know, God feels the same way I feel toward him. Really? Let me show you what God's heart is. Second Peter chapter 3, verse nine. God does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. It's not a real confusing verse, you know what I mean? Like, hey, I wonder what that verse means. No, it's pretty obvious. Like God's like, look, I don't want a single person to die without experiencing my goodness without understanding what I'm offering them. I want every single person to come to that, and we should be the catalyst for that. And yet, when we act like Jonah, we become the block. We go, nope, not, not through me. You're not using me to do this, God. I don't wanna be a part of this. And so God uses the fish to get Jonah's attention. Now, a lot of times we read this story and we go, oh, God is so mad at Jonah, he's punishing him. No, he's not punishing him. This is a sign of provision, not of punishment. Because if God doesn't do something, Jonah will die at sea. So God has to supernaturally take care of Jonah, provide for him, and get him back on land to to go to Nineveh. And so God provides it. Now notice, Jonah's not being digested inside the fish, okay? So again, we think about this as as a punishment. It's not. He's, He's perfectly maintained, albeit probably a weird three days, but he's inside this fish, and God is supernaturally providing for him. And then it gets really good. Uh, Jonah chapter two, verse 10 says this. And the Lord commanded the fish, God can command anybody, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Now, Anytime you have the word vomited as a verb in a Bible verse, you know, it's gonna be a good Bible verse. But I want you just to use your imagination. Okay, they have to be you know, deep enough at sea for this fish that's big enough to swallow Jonah. And it vomits him where? Onto dry land. Imagine that thing. I mean, this is the most epic loogie you have ever seen from a fish, right? You know, it just gets rearing up, and all of a sudden, Jonah's like shooting out of a cannon, like, whoa! And he's like, what is this stuff? I mean, just imagine what he's covered in. And, and he, you know, gets launched onto dry land. Then you get chapter three, I love this. Verse one says this. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Same thing he said. Go to the great city of Nineveh, proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. (laughs) All right, God, I'm out. I got it. No more fish. All right, I'll, I'll do it. I'll go to Nineveh. Just no more fish. What does it take for you to obey God? It took Jonah three days of time out inside of a fish. Three days to gather himself, to rethink his life and his decisions here, and for God to say, Jonah, go and do what I've asked you to do. The reality is some of you today are living inside of a fish, right? You're, you're in that mode right now where God has kinda put pause on your life because you're, you're not really following him. He's going, hey, I'm just gonna provide for you, take care of you, but I need you to reconsider this. I need you to think differently about what I've asked you to do and, and your unwillingness to do it. Some of you have been living in a fish for years. I mean, thankfully it took Jonah only three days it was probably three days of defiance until he finally broke. My guess is, you know, that's, there's, a, there's a reason why it took him that long because he wasn't immediately snapping out of it. But some of us, we, we might be in that place for years where God's going, hey, I, I want you to reconsider this. I want you to see my heart for what I'm asking you to do. I want you to understand why I'm asking you to do it. Sometimes we go, I just, I don't know if I, if I could do that. What does God have to do to convince you to obey him? Now I want to play a little game with us to illustrate this because, again, it's easy to pick on Jonah and not realize uh, this is something for us as well. So here's a little game we're going to play. I'm going to put a sentence up on the screen up here. What I want you to do is turn to someone around you and I want you to just read the sentence to them without thinking about it, okay? Sound easy enough? So look around you, figure out your person. Who are you going to read this to, okay? Now let me add a twist. It's an important twist. You're going to read this sentence without moving your lips, Okay, that's the important part. So you're gonna read it, you're just gonna, you can't think about it, you're just gonna read the sentence without moving your lips. Find your person, one, two, three, go. You guys look awesome right now. I just want you to know that. Now here's what I know about you. <clears throat> you just illustrated that you're in one of two camps, okay? Camp number one. You are so excited to do this game before you even knew the details, right? You know who you are. You're like, ooh, there's a game. Oh, I get to talk to my neighbor. I am in. And you were ready to go. And with every detail I told you, you got, you got more and more excited to do this game, right? Then there's the rest of you that just stared at me for the last two minutes. I can see you, okay? I know you're looking at me like, he doesn't know that I'm not doing this. Yes, I do. I can see you right now. But here's what I know about you. At some point later today, you're going to stand in front of a mirror and you're going to do it. <laughs> so you can act all cool right now as much as you want. But I know, I know you're intrigued and you're going, I wonder if I could do that. But I'm not, I'm not going to do it right now. No preacher's making me do that, right? I get it. Here's the point. This illustrates for you just the way you are naturally wired when, when someone asks you to do something. We all have different reactions to that. Some of us, it's really easy. Yeah, of course I'll do that. I'll, I'll try it. Others of us, no, I, I don't know. Now here's the point, this is possible to say without moving your lips, if you try it. Now the point is, you have to try it. But, but do I have to convince you it's possible before you try it? Do I have to remove any risk of, of you looking silly if it doesn't work before you'll try it? This is, again, just to teach you a little bit about yourself, the way you're wired. How much does God have to do with you? Hey, I want you to do something. You're going, whoa, I don't know if that's gonna work. I don't know if I'll look silly, I don't, I don't know. And you you realize just the way we're wired, this is something that's hard for all of us, not just for Jonah. Now, I wanna show you what the New Testament does with this because this is where it gets really good. Now, Jesus is gonna use this story and he's gonna use it and apply it in the same way, but he's just gonna modernize the whole thing and bring it all into the conversation about who he is. And it's fascinating to see what he does with it. So I'm gonna read to you in Matthew chapter 12, uh, beginning in verse 38. Here's what it says. That some of the Pharisees, and the of the law said to him, teacher, we wanna see a sign from you. Now it seems harmless enough, right? Hey, Jesus, if you are who you say you are, show us something. Do something miraculous so we know that we can believe you. He answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Wow, that's a, that's a sharp response there. Then he goes on. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish. So the son of man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, if you're wondering, hey, is this whole Jonah story, do we really supposed to believe it? Okay, Jesus quotes it. So yeah, I'd say it's probably, probably worth believing in because uh, Jesus brought it into you know, to the New Testament and it seemed to think that it was a significant story. But notice, what does Jesus highlight of the whole Jonah story. Now, again, you can keep reading the, the Jonah story. Jonah's gonna go to Nineveh. He's gonna preach to them. They're gonna repent. I mean, the thing he's afraid of happens and, and this incredible, you know, repentance and Jonah's mad about it. I mean, it's an unbelievable story. But what does Jesus highlight? The fact that Jonah's in the fish for three days and three nights. And Jesus says, this is the sign I'm gonna give you. What's he talking about? He's talking about his death, his burial, and His resurrection. He's gonna look, I'm gonna be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And, And just as you saw Jonah go through this, you're gonna see me go through it, and this will be your sign. God had to do this sign to convince Jonah. Jesus is gonna provide this sign so that he can convince us of who he is. It's an incredible way that Jesus connects these stories together and go, this is gonna be the sign that you need. Now you may have thought, why is Jesus so harsh on them when they ask him for a sign? I mean, it sounds like it's a simple request. Why does he call him a wicked and adulterous generation? Well, if you read right before this passage, you realize that Jesus has just done something supernatural and they still don't believe him. Let me show you in uh, verse 22, this is what it says. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. Woo, that'll do it for me. I mean, that sounds pretty cool if I could watch that. All the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? Could this be the guy we've been waiting for? I mean, this is amazing. Notice this. But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, ah, it's only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. It did nothing to convince them. Jesus has just done this. They're coming right off this. They go, Jesus, show us a sign. He's like, seriously? I just healed a man, and, and that didn't work? That's why he said, like, all right. Fine, I'll show you a sign. I'll give you the sign that you need. And then uh, on top of it, Jesus is going to add an insult to this. Now, I don't know what your view of Jesus is if you thought he was always politically correct and very kind and soft-spoken. Uh, he wasn't. He wasn't carrying a lamb with him everywhere he went. Uh, he, he got in people's faces and he offended people. And he, he gets a little bit sarcastic at times. You're like, whoa, Man, Jesus, I mean, that's, that's intense. Let me show you the insult that he adds to this conversation and, and you just think about what was Jesus feeling in this moment. He's, he's a little bit frustrated with them. Here's what he says, Matthew twelve forty one. The men of Nineveh, he's adding to it, will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it for they repented at the preaching of Jonah and now something greater than Jonah is here. You realize what he's saying? They go, hey guys, uh, okay, I know you think you're all super spiritual and you got all figured out. Um, you remember the men, the, the men of Nineveh? They're like, yeah, the guys that I read about, you know, these horrific guys. He goes, those guys are going to rise up at judgment and judge you. Can you imagine that? I mean, hey, Nazi Germany is going to judge you. ISIS is going to judge you. I mean, just imagine the going, how dare you say that to us? I mean, this is as insulting as you could possibly be. But notice his logic, right? They repented. The evil city of Nineveh repented when Jonah was there. And now someone greater than Jonah is here. Jesus is going, now I'm here and you will not see what I'm doing. I mean, you get the, the, the feel of h- how important this is and you're going, whoa, Jesus. That is an intense insult. But it makes the point that he's trying to make. And so as we begin to apply this today, here's what I would say for us. It's hard to see Jesus when you keep demanding more. Now that might be your your story right now. You're going, I I just can't seem to to figure it out. I can't seem to see him. Well, are you just in this cycle of demanding more and more and more and more? Jesus hey, I'm gonna give you a sign. I'm gonna give you the sign of the prophet Jonah. You can watch my death, my burial, my resurrection. It's gonna go exactly this way. And then when it does, that can be the sign for you. But do we need more than that? See, Paul even said it this way. He's going, look, we, we've seen what we were supposed to do. First Corinthians 15. Paul says, for what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Look, Jesus told us he's gonna give us the sign of Jonah. Then he gave it to us. It all played out the way he said it would. Paul's going, don't miss it. He gave you the sign you need. Well, yeah, but I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's enough for me. I mean, I would obey God today if only he spoke audibly to me. Then I'd obey God. If he just did that, then then I would. If God would have healed that person that I prayed for, then I, I'd obey him. But it, I don't know, I just, I don't know if I can. If God gave me more money, then I'd have more to work with. Then I could do more things for him. You know, then I would, then I'd obey him more. If God provided me with a spouse, you know, I'm just, I'm just not complete without a spouse. So, so then I could, I could do all those things that God asked me to do. God gave me more success in my career, in my life, and the things that I'm pursuing. Then I would have so much to use for him. See, it's hard to see Jesus, and you keep demanding more. And yet, many of us, that's the cycle we're trapped in. And it's the cycle many people have been trapped in with God. They go, I just, I need more, I need more. I need more. If, if that's your, your posture, you're never gonna have enough to obey him, and you won't. You'll keep going on a boat to Tarshish, you'll go the other way, and your life will be about the things that you want it to be about. Or we can look at God and go, okay, Jesus, you have given us everything we need. We we have all that we need. We have seen the sign of Jonah. This resurrection is what it's all about. That even if everything else doesn't make sense, we can latch on to that, and we can understand who you are and what you're doing. And so as we close the series today, I'd like to leave you with a simple statement that I would say is a great summary of this entire series where we've been for six weeks. And if you're going, hey, how do I remember this? What what do I take with me? Here's a simple idea I encourage you to write down and and just remember that Jesus is in the pixels. Jesus is in the pixels. Now you may not see the whole image. You You may go, hey, my life looks pixelated. But if you start with the premise that Jesus is in the pixels, you will begin to see him at work. You'll begin to see him around you in ways that you never would if you kept demanding more. So you're gonna go through life and it's gonna look pixelated. You're gonna have moments that feel pixelated. But if you remind yourself that Jesus is in the pixels, it'll allow you to obey him, to trust him in the midst of all of it. And so what we're gonna do today as we close this series, I'm gonna invite you to get your post-it note out. So hopefully you were handed one of these. So you go ahead and get that out. I'm gonna ask you to do something very simple with this. I want you to get a pen out or something to write with. Here's what I want you to write on this post-it note. I want you to write one thing, just one, and it can be incredibly simple or or profound or however. Write one thing that you say, I have seen Jesus in this way. Like he showed up here, uh, he did this. Um, Like I'm not sure about a bunch of other things, but this one thing, I I know that I've seen him do this. And it might be something in your own life. Like, hey, this is how he showed up for me. Now you may be going, well, I don't know where I'm at with Jesus today. I don't know if I... Okay, you probably have suspicions of how you've seen them, right? That weird coincidence that you're like, yeah, that was weird that that happened. And, and maybe you, you wonder in the back of your mind, was that Jesus? Was that? I just want you to write one thing down on a piece of paper. And, and we're going to give you a couple moments to do that. And here's what we're going to do. In um, just a few moments, we're going to close the service. And as you exit today, on the, the wall on your left, as you exit, you're going to see a whole bunch of other post-it notes from the previous service. And I want you just to go put this on the wall. And and what we're gonna do is we're gonna put each of these as pixels, and we're gonna see that the wall is gonna look really pixelated. And short of some supernatural miracle of God, these are not gonna form any bigger image, okay? Uh, So the point is not to go, oh, I see it now, it's Jesus' face, you know? It's not not gonna be that. It's just gonna look like a pixelated wall, and that's the point. That when life looks pixelated, I want you to go and have a reminder that each one of these post-its is a reminder that Jesus showed up there, that he's in the pixels. And so, again, I invite you, as you exit today, you're going to have a spot to do that. I invite you to read some of the other ones. Let's go through and spend some time reading how God has showed up to other people. Now, you might wonder, I don't know if I've seen God. But when you start to realize, wow, he's, he's moving in the people all around me, you realize that this is why we follow Jesus. This is why we find our life in him. See, God never became a book, but God became a person. And it's the person that we follow, it's the person that we pursue today, who is alive and active and who meets us here in this space, who meets you even when you go home today and you go, my life looks pixelated. That when you remember Jesus is in the pixels, it gives you the eyes to see him. And I pray as a church, as a community, that we would be known for believing that Jesus is in the pixels even when we can't see the bigger picture. Let's pray together. Well, Jesus, we wanna see you. We want to be able to be those people who are defined by what we see in you and how we respond to it. And yet the reality is it's so easy to to demand more. Like Jonah and like the religious leaders, we can just keep expecting that you, you should do more and more and more. Instead of realizing you have given us the most unbelievable sign ever, that you died, that you were buried, and you rose again. And it is that truth, that sign that we cling to today, that we know that you are still alive, that you are meeting us in the pixels of our life right now. And so God, even as a community, when we can't see the bigger picture, would you remind us, would you encourage us that you are there meeting us in the pixels. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.